When we look at the church today, we may see only deadness. Ezekiel saw a pile of dry bones. God is asking the same question today that he asked of Ezekiel back then. Can these dead churches come alive? It certainly doesn't look like it to us. Death, decay, form, ritual, rules and regulations, all working against anything we would call spiritual. Will the Lord cause these dead bones to live? Let's find out. Both scripture lessons today had to do with life coming back into that which had no life. The resurrection of Lazarus and the reading in Ezekiel of the dry bones. I don't know if you caught it, but in that last part of the gospel reading in verse 43, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Why do you think he called Lazarus's name? Because if he had said, come out, everybody would have shown up. That's the power that Jesus had. Also, it says that Lazarus came forth bound hand and foot. That means he was not walking. He was hobbling. That's all he could do. And he turned to the people and said, you, unbind him and let him go. We need to understand that when people first come alive in the Lord, they may not come forth in full measure of life like we are used to. It is up to us to release them, to help them see. But today I want to talk to you about the rattling of the bones from Ezekiel. One of the many motifs of for Halloween is a human skeleton. You can often see it uh, as a, a black costume covering the body with just the skeleton in white on it. <clears throat> as we heard from the prophet Ezekiel this morning, he looked out over a field of bones, but they were just bones. There was nothing uh, recognizable other than a pile of bones. No bone was connected to the bone it was supposed to be connected to. It was a pile of dry bones, very dry bones, the scripture emphasizes. And as he was looking, the Lord asked him a question. Son of man, can these bones live? Now that's a tough question, don't you think? Our experience tells us, no, these bones are dead and will stay that way. But when God asks a question, you know something is up. Ezekiel, being the smart boy he was, says, Lord, you know. This question, can these bones live, has been asked many times since the time of Ezekiel. Now we know from the story that he was referring to the whole house of Israel at that time. It's asked in different fashion concerning different things having to do with the church, but it is essentially the same question brought about by much the same conditions. As I meet with pastors from here in Stockton and from other parts of the country, there's a certain level of bewilderment at this time, especially as we are coming out of the COVID pandemic. <clears throat> Excuse me. After churches were shut down due to the panic of the pandemic, 
many people began to discover that they could get along just fine without their regular Sunday routine. When the churches reopened, less than half the original congregation returned. Now, due to the way that we do church in this country, that was pro has proven to be a devastating affair for the financial condition of many congregations. The question that is now being asked by these pastors, is what's next? Where do we go from here? How do we proceed? Some are left with buildings much bigger than they can afford to maintain. However, churches were in their death throes long before the pandemic. Membership across all denominations has been in a steady decline for decades. Since I became a part of the John Calvin Presbytery, we have closed down three churches while I've been here, and we have 11 that are still without a pastor. Um, I think that, that may be down to 10 now. And most of those have been without a pastor since I came on board here. I attended a Nazarene conference a few years ago, and the keynote speaker pointed out that they had established 1,600 new churches in the previous year. 1,600 new churches for the Nazarene denomination. That's a lot. And after the applause and the cheering had died down, he said, but that's not all. In the same period, we closed 1,599 churches for a net gain of one. Church as we know it is dying. A cursory glance at church history shows this to be the case every about every 500 years. 500 years after Pentecost, which is ordinarily considered to be the birthday of the church, major changes in teaching and belief brought about significant change to the church. Then about another 500 years, there was the establishment of the Holy Roman Empire, which united church and state for a more rigorous control of the populace. Then the Reformation occurred, and that was about 500 years ago. We celebrated that, what, in uh, 2017. Are we in the midst of another major shift affecting the church? Many would say that our churches today are dry bones with no life in them. Can these bones live? Only God knows. The Lord told Ezekiel to prophesy to those dead dry bones, and when he did, he heard a rattling of bones. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling of the bones came together, bone to its bone. Now this passage from the prophet Ezekiel has been used extensively as an explanation of almost every revival which brought change to the church. 
There are a multitude of sermons that I'm aware of from, available from the Pentecostal revival of the early 20th century and also from the charismatic renewal of the early 70s. They all use this passage from Ezekiel. They all try to explain why people were leaving their established churches to go to another church that had this new form of worship. However, such is not the case this time. People are simply leaving what they consider to be a dead form and they're not establishing anything new or different. And then we hear of something like the revival occurring in Kentucky at Asbury College. Young people were in a chapel service when something happened that made the service go on for two weeks nonstop before it was shut down. People from around the country and some from our own community here went out there to see and maybe experience what was said to be a significant move of the Holy Spirit. Now the same thing happened in 1970 on this same campus, same type of revival, but at that time national revival was already happening and it too was among the youth of the day. What is it about youthfulness which allows for revival? What is it about age which doesn't much experience revival? The answer to those two questions can be found in a statement that Jesus made when he was questioned about the difference in his ministry from that of John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 17 we read, Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. Now John's ministry lasted only for a short time, but it had a tremendous effect on the people of his time. And then Jesus came along and his ministry also had a powerful impact, but it only was for a short time. His ministry, the ministry of Jesus, was different from that of John the Baptist, and some people noticed that difference and wondered why. This verse from Matthew's Gospel has also been used, much like the passage from Ezekiel, to explain the various revivals. Why do the revivals need explanation? If it is something that God is doing among his people, don't you think it should be apparent that it is the Lord? We know from the Bible and from history that that is just not the case. Revivals need explanation because the seven deadly words rule whatever existing structure there is. We've never done it that way. Hinders anything new. I know of numerous pastors who have lost their position because they tried to ride the new wave and bring that experience into their church. <clears throat> but the challenge of change was more than some people were willing to accept. Who is at fault when this happens? 
I'm not sure that finding fault is the correct assessment. Understanding the dynamics of life would help to avoid the disasters which have followed unwise attempts to bring change. The young body, the young mind is pliable, amenable to being shaped differently. And of course that is the very essence of growth. Growth requires change. Growth is change from what was to what is to what will be. When what is lasts for an extended period of time, changing to what will be is difficult. The comfort zone becomes the place of security. Some would say that our comfort zone is a prison, keeping us locked out of new and fresh experiences. Now, while that may be accurate at a certain level, I'm not sure it should be applied as an accusation. Jesus did not condemn the old wineskin for being old and brittle. He simply pointed out that there was a proper method for the handling of wine and wineskins. The Apostle Paul was used by the Lord to bring the fullness of the gospel to those outside the confines of their traditional Judaism. The original apostles were not quick to accept what Jesus had told them about the universality of the gospel. Nor were they quick to accept Paul's willingness to bring it into the Gentiles. Old wineskins simply were not able to accommodate the new wine of God's acceptance of all people. Jesus had hinted at this idea of change when he was talking to the woman at the well. In John chapter 4 and verse 21 we read, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He was responding to the woman who had asked the question, You say we're supposed to be in Jerusalem. We say we're supposed to be here. Who's right? And so Jesus was giving an answer. And he goes on to say, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Jesus essentially said that the rules and rigors which define worship at that time were about to change. Place, style, and format were no longer to be the guidelines, but spirit and truth were to lead in the worship of the Father. Every revival of which I am aware and some of which I've been a part of has brought about this same thing. There has been a change in worship style and format. Those churches which flowed with the change saw growth in numbers while those who did not saw a decline. Now the church at large is at that place again. Change is coming. What does that change look like? What does it involve? How can we be ready for change which may shock us out of our comfort zone? 
I do not know the answer to those questions. I do know this, though, and I pass it along to you this morning in dealing with change. The book of Hebrews was written to a people going through tremendous change and upheaval to their ordinary life of worship. After explaining much of these changes to the readers, the author says that we should look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. There's only one constant in all of church history, and that is found in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13 and verse 8, where it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Even though he is constant, that does not mean that change is out of order. Jesus brought change to the world and he continues to do so in our time. We are also told that in bringing that change, Jesus had to step out of the order of his day and that we should do likewise. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12, it says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Change is inevitable. Every relationship you ever have has a beginning, a middle, and an end. When you go to the restaurant, you have a relationship with the server. It begins as a middle and it has an end. The people you meet in the street each day, your relationship has a beginning, a middle, and an end, short as it might be. And the relationships we have in our life that last longer have a beginning, they have a middle, and they have an end. The same is true for any and every relationship. Whatever changes are coming our way here at Stockton Presbyterian Church, may we be flexible enough to embrace them and therefore be able to find ourselves comfortable and at home with the Lord. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen.